0: In today's episode of the Healthcare Huddle, we welcome Jason Kulata to the show. He is the IT director. He manages all IT services for Encompass Healthcare data solutions. And we drill down pretty deeply into the murky and unsavory world of IT security, and he gives us a tour of what the bad actors are trying to do, how they're trying to do it, and the different ways they're trying to gain access to our businesses. If you don't think the risk is real, after listening to Jason, you'll know that it is. It's time for the Healthcare Huddle, simplifying the business of healthcare. Presented by Encompass Medical. Devoted to helping organizations succeed with customized medical practice management services. Visit EncompassMedical.com today. Now, here's your host, Michael Zerbis. Welcome to another edition of the Healthcare Huddle. I'm particularly excited today to welcome Jason Kulata to the show. Jason is the director for all IT operations at Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. Um, As a quick overview, Encompass provides a full suite of IT services uh, to the healthcare industry. They actually, I think, specialize in healthcare. Um, From hosting, to infrastructure management, to uh, chief information officer uh, roles, to security and everything in between. And we're lucky because Jason is the guy who keeps all of those client systems running smoothly and safely, which is, um, I would imagine, no small task. So Jason, welcome.
1: Thank you, Michael. Uh, Thank you for your time. I'm humbled to be on your podcast and uh, just uh, ready to talk tech.
0: (laughs) Great. And because uh, I think you're going to be able to elucidate and enlighten our listeners to what's going on out there. There's a lot of information, but um, I want to narrow the focus of our talk today and maybe um, just drill down on the security aspect of your work. And um, because that seems to be in the news the most. It seems like I'm reading a different uh, article or news blurb or headline about some latest security breach, and that gets me to wondering. From your perspective, all of these uh, news items that I'm seeing is it is it hype or is there is there really that much risk and exposure and comp? Compromising of data going on out there. What's your what's your view on that?
1: Um, I really feel that the news media is not, uh, in a sense, doing a scare tactic. They're Uh. just trying to bring to light uh, what's happening. What's actually you know businesses are experiencing. Uh, We don't know what we don't know, and of course, bringing this to the surface helps us see what's going on. Of course, we don't think it's ever going to happen to ourselves until it actually happens to. Right, somebody close to us, or it happens actually to us, which then at that point is too late.
0: Right. Well, that's interesting. Um, it's it's good to hear. You know, the the term fake news is thrown around so much, but um, you're dealing with this stuff every day, and it's good to know that we should take it seriously. Um, maybe uh, we could talk a little bit about um, what those what those risks are, what those what it looks like, and Um, help us understand, um, the, so hacking, um, my understanding is hacking is, is, is the attempt, I guess, to try to get into, into my system. And then there's a variety of techniques that they use to try to do that. And maybe you could walk our listeners through that definition. So as they're reading these stories, they have a context and understand what exactly is going on in my organization or what's the risk, how are they going to get me?
1: Correct and a definition of a hacker is a person who uses computers to gain unauthorized access to your data. Basically, they want your data that's in your network. That can be files, that could be um, uh, identity, that could be um, your your financial information, credit cards, and what have you. Um, the different type of methods that they use is what you hear these buzzwords, right? The hacking, the phishing spear phishing, social engineering, ransomware, uh, spoofing. Um, basically, it's, it's uh, putting it in layman terms. It's like a burglar wanting to try to break into your house. They're going to have tools to break physically into your house. They'll use a crowbar. They'll use a rock to throw through your window, or they'll use a lock picking tool set to get into your front door. Um, in our networks, They go the digital route, right? They try these different methods. Uh, Phishing, for one, basically is an email that's sent to a user in the uh, business that looks legit, but is not. Once the user receives that email, they'll usually click on a link, which sends them to another website that asks for their username and password. Uh, That's how they can gather usernames and passwords to Microsoft products, different type of uh websites and and uh, accounts that you have out there they can also send emails with attachments that once you click on the attachment it'll go ahead and run and either um, it can encrypt your files on the network uh, it can do different things it's a program that usually runs when you click on that that attached file
0: so let me let me jump in right there because that's helpful so phishing is, just what it says. They're trying to they're laying out different types of bait and hoping that someone comes along and d- clicks on it. And when they encrypt, so they're trying to get me to give them data and they're going to, maybe you can explain what data they're looking for and how they use it. And you also mentioned that they'll encrypt some of our data. So when they encrypt it, what's, is that where the ransomware comes in that they say, Hey, send us this money and we'll In essence, release what what release your what what what's that? Give us an explanation of those two things so that what type of data they're looking for and what they're doing when they encrypt my data.
1: So the type of data that they're looking for is anything that they can do to gain access to other information. They're looking for uh, files, databases that has information in those databases, um, like people's identity. Um, their account numbers, credit card information, the business's financial information. So they're they're trying to, again, like the burglar trying to break into a house, they're trying to get access to usually um, uh, information that they can actually go and sell on the dark web. So with that information, that information translates to dollars for them. Uh, you know, back in the day, hacking started as just fun. It was a puzzle, right? How can I get in to Fort Knox, so to speak? How can I, it was a puzzle. How can I get in and break into the system? Well, now there's information behind that system, right? And so they can gather that information like your credit card accounts, your personal information, take it to the dark web and sell it for dollars and big dollars. Um, so it's it's very lucrative for them as being a hacker
0: so so the idea of being there is that they're not even necessarily using it someone who buys it one step removed from the person who's got it um then is going to take that information and uh, establish new credit in in my name or in the company's name and then run up bills on that or um or drain a bank account, or divert funds—that um, makes sense. What, get, if that's right, tell me yes. But then also, yeah. now tell me when they are when they're encrypting my data. What what's the plan there? How are they monetizing that?
1: Yes, and that's correct. It's just uh, again a thief. He goes and steals something. He's going to resell it usually to somebody else um, for encryption encryption renders your files and folders. You can't get to it. If you try to click on it, it won't open. It's basically like taking your files and folders and throwing them into a um, uh, a safe and locking it. You cannot get to it. So at that point, once they encrypt your data, they have information. They're very nice um, <laughs> where they'll actually give you information so you can call them. And they're very nice on the phone. I mean, it's, it's a, it's almost like a legit business. You have people that are answer the phone and say, hello, Mr. Smith, how are you doing? How can we help you? You know, you have your files in your folders encrypted. Oh, I'm so sorry, we can help you with that. You should have received a, um, a key. Please give us the key and then we'll go ahead and give you the, the, um, the, the key. Uh, I'm sorry, they'll, they'll ask you for a code, which is usually whenever you have ransomware, it shows the code on the screen. They'll ask you for the code. Then they'll go ahead and give you the key so you can unlock or unencrypt all your files and folders for a fee. And the fees are not that expensive. So you go ahead and do it. Um, usually if they make it too expensive, you wouldn't do it. It would be bad business. You would go tell folks, hey, don't pay the ransomware. Where with it being um, affordable, so to speak, you're like, Hey, give them the, give them the code, give them the code. So you get the key and your business can still stay alive and move on today.
0: So in healthcare, they might want to try to encrypt my, um, patient charts because I can't run the business. If I don't have access to the patient charts, that's, and then, so they're going to ransomware me on that. Cause otherwise my business has stopped, but also if they could get access to my patient charts and they didn't encrypt it, there's all sorts of information like maybe um, social security numbers, addresses, telephone numbers that they could use to set up fake IDs and then exploit that identity um, to be able to go out and, and generate income from that. Um, it seems like this ransomware, is that, is that common? Have you seen that before?
1: Yes. And, you know, take a couple of steps back when you say charts, right? Charts back in the day, when you walked into a medical facility, it was paper, right? Everything right. You put on paper, it was stored on that paper in the facility. Well, now it's gone to digital. They're stored in databases. So a hacker, what's very appealing to them is to hack the database, get the database with all that patient information and go sell it on the dark web. and. They're selling that up to about $500,000 nowadays. Um, so it's, again, another lucrative thing that they're working towards. Um, Wait a
0: second. Wait a second. I'm sorry, Jason. I got to interrupt you. I apologize. But the, you're telling me one identity could be worth $500,000? Or are you saying in packets?
1: The, the, the actual database. So a database ah, with ah. thousands of patient, uh, patient, patient data within it. Got it. So a database could bring a half a million bucks in.
0: <laughs> wow, That's incredible. That's a big yeah. number. I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were going to talk about um, the you know if, if ransomware is a real threat out there and, and if you've seen it.
1: Yes. Um, yes, we have seen it. Uh, in fact, uh, we had a, a business here locally that ended up receiving ransomware, and uh, it was, unfortunately, on Super Bowl day. Um, so yeah, what ended up happening is that once they received the ransomware, it basically rendered all their workstations and their servers, all their information. They couldn't get on the workstations. They couldn't get on the servers. When they would power them up, it would come up to a screen saying um, you've been infected. You have ransomware. Here's the code. Call such and such number to get the you know ransomware key. So at that point, This particular uh, company didn't have backups that's uh, the number one key that you should have running daily is your backups Um, at that point they could have restored from backups to get their information back since they didn't have backups they actually had to pay the ransomware fee which was around six thousand dollars again affordable right it wasn't like it was a million dollars Uh, so They went ahead and paid the ransomware fee, got their database, which had all the patients in it back. And of course, they still had to go and rebuild all of the workstations and the servers. So a lot of time and money besides that $6,000 was still involved. Um, But that's when we came into the scene. That's when they reached out to us um, where they really needed help. And that's where we came in and implemented some of those technical standards um, like backups, They uh, actually how the hacker got in was that uh, some of their employees were remoting in straight from the Internet into their terminal server. And how that works is that we we all did that back in the day. We would just have folks from their laptop at home remote in, meaning they would just connect right into the terminal server um, directly into our businesses. Well, that's easy to hack. Basically, you can do what's called another buzzword is brute force hack. And what happens with that is that it's just a program that the hacker runs that's going to send a username and a password, uh, two or three username and passwords every second, 24 hours a day until it finally finds out a username and a password that works. That's how they figured it out for this particular business. So, of course, we came onto the scene. We went ahead and implemented some technical standards. We... Um, activated VPN, which is a virtual private network on their router and then had the remote folks VPN first which created that secure network connection and then remote into the terminal server because um, we didn't want we didn't want that to happen twice to them but
0: then, That's interesting. That's in that brute force attack. They can have that program just running in the background constantly until it figures it out. And it's just, it's not, it's just costing them bandwidth. It doesn't really take, they turn it on and set it and forget it, right?
1: Correct. And uh, when I was working as a systems engineer for uh, one of our clients, um, I basically, walked in and looked at the uh, event viewer logs. Basics, basically, it's your logs within Windows on one of the servers. And on their terminal server, saw where it was actually coming up with uh, all of those different two passwords, uh, sorry, two usernames and two passwords, one every second. Um, at that point, that's when we took immediate action and, again, closed down the remote access from externally, created VPN and then remoted all of their um, providers into their system.
0: So so there's this technical aspect where you can, as you mentioned, put in these um, technical standards to make sure that the wall and the barriers are getting higher and higher and harder and harder. But that still doesn't – you still have the other side of the equation, which is the humans clicking on um, emails or – or documents in an email and not being aware. How do you, how do you stop that? Because it's humans and we're going fast and we miss stuff or we're, that seems like a, that's harder in
1: a way. Correct. And I you know, I truthfully believe our weakest link is uh, humans and that's, what's called social engineering. Um, I mean, uh, way back in the day, um, social engineering was started where somebody would pick up the phone and act. Uh, They put on their acting hat and act as an HVAC, an AC person, and call up the business and say, I'm your HVAC person, I need to get into your particular AC component, what is your new username and password for it? Um, Many different ways that the acting job uh, came across very, uh, very good for them because as humans, we believe everybody to be good and we want to help, right? We always want to right. help and we feel good about helping folks. So we just give them the information. So with social engineering comes, you know, security awareness training. That's what we have implemented within our business. Basically, we fish our own users and you're like, whoa, why did you do that? Um, aren't you going to exploit or encrypt your own information? Nah, Um, The way the security awareness training works is that we'll actually send random emails to our company over the 30 days within that month where it'll come as an email that looks legit. It'll have a link in it. And um, with that, if the person actually clicks on the link, it'll send them to an informational page that says, ah, you've been caught. (laughs) Here's some education on how to look at this email again. Look at the you know email address header. Look at some of the uh, English. <laughs> A lot of times some of these phishing attempts come across where the English is bad. Right. Um, right. But it comes from foreign countries. Um, God forbid if all the English was correct. Right. That would <laughs> be another challenge for us. Right. The security awareness training is what really helps us. And, you know, for an example, in our company, um, We had a uh, financial accounting person that received an email, and this is what we call spear phishing. It was targeted. Basically, the email looked like it was coming from the CEO, and it was emailed to the uh, financial, uh, financial officer. When she received it, it basically had a legit bank name in there and a routing number, and it said, can you please move funds from our business bank account to this bank account? So, of course, she started nibbling on the bait. She started interacting with the email, emailing back on, hey, okay, this is what we have in our current accounts. This is how much do you want to move? You know, just basically started interacting with them. And again, it's okay. We're just moving at a fast pace. Sometimes we will start nibbling on that bait. Uh, The thing is, is that we want the hackles to go up uh, where at a certain point, like, wait a second. And that's what she did. It was beautiful, really. She picked up the phone. She called the CEO and said, is this legit? What's going on here? And of course it wasn't, you know, cover blown, so to speak. So that security awareness training is just giving our users um, that red flag or that third eye, so to speak, that it just, um, it trains them what to see and what to not interact with or, hey, IT, my IT department, hello, is this legit or not? We get, we get those emails um, quite a bit. It's we love it because we're like it's working. Our training is working. So when you're doing this, you do this for your team and your
0: company. But are you also doing this for your clients? Is is do you do that? Is that kind of a program that you can do for other healthcare organizations?
1: You bet. And that's just part of our uh, security suite of services. Uh, very very easy to set up and. Um, not much at all <laughs> on a monthly basis. Not much at all for what you get uh, out of the training.
2: Encompass Healthcare Data Solution focuses on collecting the maximum from your revenue cycle. The revenue cycle management team regularly performs top 10% of outsourced billing companies with a clean claims rate of 98.05%, a zero paid denial rate of 0.015%, and average days in AR of less than 24 days. Your practice could go back to focusing on providing quality healthcare to your patients without the nagging concern of leaving real dollars on the table. Encompass's revenue cycle management solution provides unparalleled visibility and control into your revenues by providing a comprehensive dashboard and reporting system. The same reporting and dashboard system that the Encompass team uses to manage itself. Like most other revenue cycle vendors, Encompass only gets paid on net collections. Unlike other companies, they have a highly developed and unique denials management system that helps to ensure that your practice gets every penny that you've earned. For more information, go to encompasshds.com, select Revenue Cycle Management, and click the Learn More button to schedule your discovery call today.
0: you know, as we're going through this consolidation of um, some of the independent practices are being bought up, and then there's a remaining balance of practices out there in the world that are really working hard to be independent. And um, I've talked with more than a few of them um, over the course of my career, and, and they're struggling, um, you know, to deal with regulatory change and reimbursement change. And they almost kind of turn a blind eye to this, or I've heard people say, you know, well, yeah, I've got an IT guy and and I know we've got a firewall and they think that that covers it. And tell me why that doesn't cover it. Or, you know, the IT guy that they have maybe doesn't have this skill or the knowledge or, or is there a gap there? And, and what is that from your perspective?
1: Correct. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of that. Um, Basically, this business that actually received ransomware, they only had one IT guy. That IT guy had been there for 30 years, um, did a great job of keeping the business running um, uh, -technology, technology wise, but he did not stay up to date on his skills. He didn't stay up to date on what the latest technology was on what the latest security issues were and how to you know put up your walls and fences to combat that. Um, he was basically so busy with um, taking care of the staff, tickets that were coming in, basically that he was just firefighting. He was not investing, didn't have time or set time aside to invest to expand his knowledge and education on what was going on currently in the um, technical world especially in the security realm. So that's where we come in, um, or that's where a team comes in. To to rely on one person is again, kind of putting your eggs all in one basket where hopefully that person is staying up to date and they may be, um, which is good. For the most part, a lot of times they're running around being the firefighter and they don't set apart that time to really stay up to date and educated on what's going on in the world. So for hiring a team like ourselves, We come with years of knowledge, with years of education and with years of just constantly staying in tune with what's going on and putting those best practices into place.
0: It almost sounds like it's a it's an arms race. You know, it's like, um, you know, the the white hat guys, you and your team and other people who do similar work are out there going, "Okay, this is the latest that they're trying. This is the latest variation on a theme or this is something brand new here's what we're going to do. We're going to educate. We're going to erect a new type of wall. We're going to work with our vendors to make sure that we're buttoned down. And then they adapt to those adaptations and you're adapting. And it's like this continual game that has to be played. And and it's, it's, you know, when I look at the small practices too, or even medium to large practices, they they're focused, like you said, they're, they're moving so fast and so hard um, and they don't know what they don't know that, they also think that this is going to be incredibly expensive and they don't know how to find a solution. Like you said. And, and so are the solutions expensive? Is this, is this, I mean, I know the costs are incredibly expensive, but is it expensive to get white hat fishing or to, you know, do um, other types of testing and, and education? Is it cost prohibitive?
1: Well, if you look at the, you know, the overall uh, result of if you've gotten ransomware, I mean, with this business that got ransomware, if they put dollars to how much they've spent with the time and money, I mean, they were down for several weeks. All of their were physical. They had to rebuild them all. They weren't virtual. Uh, when we came in, we moved them to the cloud. We virtualized all that. Um, but as far as some of these services, uh, there's... Several different services, and there's several different technical standards. Um, some of them is just regular, easy operating system patches. You know, that's basically applying Windows patches to your workstations or to your servers. Um, there's two-factor authentication that you can set up, which uh, are Microsoft services, any services nowadays. Um, of course, a lot of folks don't like the Two-factor authentication. That's when you want to go log in somewhere. It texts you a code, and then you have to put code. Um, again, it's it's very effective. Um, blocking uh, remote access straight from the inter- internet is one of the big pieces. Uh, we just took on a client that we found out to this day they're they're still doing that. So immediately we shut it down, implemented VPN, and uh, got them on the right track. Another big piece back up your data. (laughs) Um, Some of the security services is vulnerability scans. This is where um, you can have software that runs uh, in your network that basically shows all the different holes. Maybe some of the workstations that don't have the right patching, some of the routers or switches that don't have the up-to-date firmware, the different pieces that alerts you as a IT system administrator or your company on what needs to be Patched in order to be secure. Um, There's another uh, thing called SIM, and I kind of alluded to this earlier SIM, S E I M, that's security event information management. Basically, it's log management. On this server, and looked into the event viewer log and saw all these logs of all the username and passwords, the brute force um, tool that the hacker was trying to use. That's logs whoever has time to go look at these logs. As an IT administrator, you're supposed to go look at these logs daily. We we don't have that time. You can automate this. This um, uh, SIM piece basically is automated. It goes and looks at all of your workstation event viewer, your event logs, as well as all of your server logs. If it sees something out of the norm, boom, alert goes up. It's kind of like your DNA in your body. When a virus infiltrates it, your alarm goes up. You start hacking, sneezing, coughing. Um, your body wants to start to immediately defend. That's what these systems do. And um, for what you get out of them is a good peace of mind, right? How many of us want to go to bed and have a good night's sleep and not, you know, be wrestling at 2 a.m. in the morning thinking, am I going to be up and running tomorrow or not? So it, it's something to look into.
0: Yeah, that's it makes sense. And um, it. So there's two topics that you made me think about that I want to approach, um, and one of them is kind of a bigger philosophical question. So I'm maybe going to maybe get a hold of that for a second. But um, the other term that I hear a lot is um, the Internet of Things, and um, I've seen it abbreviated as IoT. And so, what does that mean, and why do I care about the Internet of Things, especially in relation to security?
1: Well, here, I'll give you a a definition of it that'll maybe kind of blow your mind and I'll put it in layman terms. (laughs) The Internet of Things, of course, is a system of interrelated computing devices, mechanical and digital machines, objects, animals, or people that are provided with unique identifiers, UIDs, and the ability to transfer data over a network without requiring human-to-human or human-to-computer interaction. So basically, what that means. Talk English, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it blows my mind. Uh, it's in device that's connected to the internet. It's uh, maybe your home nest system that's connected to the internet. Um, if you have, everything's connected to the internet. So you can download an app and control it. Your water system, your sprinklers. Um, everything makes it easy for us as consumers to be able to control that. So, In healthcare systems, it's medical devices. Medical devices will connect to a wireless access point so it can information into the system. Um, Any of those pieces. So when we had the Internet of Things attack, so to speak, um, some years ago, with a lot of these devices um, comes an admin username and an admin password, and usually it's defaulted. Usually it's (laughs) admin, admin. admin, password, something just um, that makes it easy for out of the box, the IT person or the consumer at home can log into with a browser to access that device to then control it, set things up, configure it, and what have you. Well, with everybody knowing pretty much what the username and password was, that's where these hackers went out and really started um, connecting to these devices and using the default. I mean, you can go out and look on the web and Google hey, what's the default password for my home Netgear router or the the business router? You'll see a list of them. They'll come up with all the default username and passwords. The thing is, once you get it out of the box, you need to change that that username and password. Um, Some of the devices will only keep the username of admin, but you need to change that password. Um, That's just, that's smart that keeps you just one step ahead.
2: Encompass aims to put the provider back in control of the healthcare equation. The Payer Enrollment and Provider Privileging Service takes advantage of long relationships with both private and government payers to help reduce the cost of avoidable denials. The largest denial class is a payer-identified credentialing error. Encompass's team focuses exclusively Satisfying the reattestation needs, maintenance of expirables, and complete taxonomy accuracy for your providers to help capture all that is due to you from each payer. Some of our current clients have seen their provider revenues increase by up to $50,000 a year by having the Encompass Payer Enrollment and Privileging team focus on management of the intentionally complex and cumbersome payer enrollment process. Contact us today to learn more about Encompass's payer enrollment privileging process and how we can help improve your revenue capture through strategic and focused payer enrollment management. For more information, go to EncompassHDS.com, select Credentialing and payer Enrollment, and click the Learn More button to schedule a discovery call.
0: So another way to think about it, to use your analogy, is that all of these different applications or devices that have applications that are connected to the Internet are, in essence, another way into the building, into your home. And and the fact that there's these default uh, usernames or passwords makes that brute force attack a million times simpler. And so people are wiggling through the window that no one ever thinks to close or lock to get into the, that's incredible. That's
1: incredible. And so <laughs> it's am I right? like, that mouse, like that mouse looking for a piece of cheese. It's going to go through any crack, any little hole it finds. Yeah. We got to find that hole, that crack and seal it, you know, from day one.
0: Wow. Well, it's it's uh, so, so this kind of naturally leads to the next question that's been bubbling in my brain and not just today, but for a while is um, by definition, <laughs> if everyone took this seriously and um, enacted all of these things that you've talked about, whether it's white hat fishing or um, you know, technological standards and do, making sure you got the appropriate backups and your, how you're storing them and all of these different things to mitigate or eliminate the risk, we wouldn't be seeing all these stories in the newspaper, especially in healthcare. It seems like every other day that someone got either a health system or a practice, you know, got hammered. Um, so why don't people do these things? I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. What 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 stops people from saying it's real? I'm seeing it all the time. I'm one of the people that, by definition isn't doing what I need to do, or maybe they don't know what, what, what's going on in there. Do you think in their heads or what do you hear?
1: Well, I feel a big part of it is that, you know, as it folk, we want to come in and, and fix people's computer problems. And that's, that's the number one thing to, to do, right? We want to keep people working. Um, if they're not working, it's not good for business, so to speak. So, um, I think we get caught up in that to, to actually take a step back and look at the foundation. We want to build a house and we want to build it on top of that house. We want to go in and do the repairs. We don't want to step back and look at the foundation to see if there's any cracks in it. Why? Sometimes for folks that's boring, right? Again, you know, when I first got into IT, what are the two things that an IT person, or at least me, I didn't want to do when I first started? Documentation and backups. And (laughs) it's, it's not, it's not the true funness of IT for a lot of folks. Um, So I really feel that IT, and again, there's the, you know, you don't know what you don't know, maybe it's an IT person in house, but, you know, I truly feel that it's not on people's list to do, or it's on their list, but it's way at the bottom. And by the time they get to it, it's too late.
0: So... You know, it's interesting because um, it was interesting hearing your answer because you took like a personal responsibility as the IT person. And given my past roles where I was responsible for the whole organization, I'm looking at it and going, well, why does the organization not tell the IT you need to do this? But in hearing your answer, I'm wondering if there isn't also this kind of unhealthy feedback loop that happens, right? The IT team doesn't want to do it and may or may not be keeping up on their skills, right, and and, and paying attention to that threat. And so even if if I walk in as a CEO and say, hey, guys, I'm concerned about our vulnerability or this or that, and IT tells me we think we have everything handled, how do I know that what they're telling me is incorrect, right? I have to trust the wizard, right? And, And so... There's this lack of knowledge, but it's it can be so um, – I guess it can be so, at some levels, t- technically complicated mm-hmm. that I can't become an expert and I have to rely on my experts, but I have no idea or no way to know if my expert is up to speed. And so how do you overcome that loop? Can they go out and get independent – like? Audits, or how? How, yes. how do they check the checkers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, like your car, right? It, let's say you don't you don't know anything about the engine, especially nowadays with all electronics. Somewhat. Um, what do you do? You take it into the garage. They hook it up to a system. It shows you everything that's going on with it and what's not going on with it. So, for us, we can easily come in and do an IC, IT security risk assessment which will give us a gap analysis. It'll actually show the pieces. It'll it'll look at the foundation and actually show the cracks in it. Then at that point, you have a list of to-dos, whether you want to do them or not. Um, but at least you know what's underneath the hood in that engine and what's not working or what's getting ready to fail. That's it. That's uh... And I'm
0: assuming those are not cost prohibitive, right? They're pretty straightforward. You can do that work relatively quickly. And then Mm -hmm. then the institution doesn't have the ability to say, I didn't know or um, we weren't sure. It's not not expensive.
1: Uh, And it's just, it's a one-time fee. I mean, you can get that one snapshot of time of where you're at currently and then have your internal IT start addressing those pieces. Or, of course, you can engage us. Uh, to come in and just take care of those pieces. We love to work alongside with your internal IT person. We don't have to be your um, IT solely. If you still want in-house IT, which we work with several clients that still have uh, internal IT personnel. And we just love working alongside being the group, the team, just adding that much more information and knowledge to the whole process and flows.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine if you're working uh, uh, shoulder to shoulder um, with that team, they're also learning and getting up to speed by definition, just hearing and seeing how you guys approach and think about the information. Um, Yeah, that's a nice value add. You know, and the thing we haven't talked about too is we've talked, we focused a lot about the um, economic impact when you're hacked and, um, and, the financial liabilities of shutting the business down from ransomware, but you know the other one I think a lot about too is um, reputational liability. That if your healthcare practice or medical center or hospital gets hacked, it's also going to have a chilling effect on people wanting to give you their information and come there, and especially if they have a choice in town, that could be a differentiator to shifting referral patterns. And so you can have an impact. um, It's not a question here. I guess I'm filibustering. I'm thinking out loud, but you can have an impact that um, is really uh, long, has a long tail to it. And you might not see it for a long time. Um, And so, um, yeah. And so there's a whole part of it, I guess, about you have to manage the reputation too, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah, because we know uh, that reputation equals marketing whether it's good or bad
0: <laughs> right that's really interesting. you know and as we're talking i was thinking about um you know some uh, when i was in b school they we talked a lot about the psychology of of, in, of organizations and individuals leading organizations and one of the concepts that we talked about was a thing called optimism bias which is um uh, you know it's how available um, the information is. And and we overestimate the likelihood that good things are going to happen to us. And we underestimate the likelihood that bad things will happen to us. And it really goes back, and you're making me think of this because you talked about we really don't do anything until either it happens to us or, um, or we know somebody that it does happen to, right? And so that's that optimism bias that they – Every, we all think it's not going to happen to us, but it's happening all the time. <laughs> Do you see that with your clients that they tend to downplay the risk when you talk with them? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Years ago, when I was working at one company, um, we had an uh, exchange email system on site. And, and we were a small company, right? And I was the only IT person. And... I wanted to implement backups for that email system and constantly would go to management, to the financial officer and say, I want to implement backups. And of course, they didn't want to spend the money at the time for it. And I would constantly educate them. Well, one day the exchange database got corrupted. We got Microsoft involved. They could not restore it. So we were out of all of All of their emails the whole email database and that wasn't a hacking job or anything just the database went bad so luckily at that time I had set up on all of the computers that the emails were getting saved locally so I could do a restore that way of course what happens the day the next day after hey Jason can we give you that money to get backups going
0: (laughs) <laughs> That's the example of closing the barn door after the horse is free, right?
1: But, you know, kudos. They learned and recovered. Um, shame on us when it happens once and we don't do anything and it happens twice, you know, and just that second time could just really be fatal, you know, uh, financially yeah, speaking.
0: Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Well, I'm looking at the clock and I realize I've kept you here longer than I promised and you've been... Um, Gracious and uh, have not uh, pointed at your watch and made a face at me. So uh, I'm appreciative of that. Uh, so, Jason, thank you uh, for donating your valuable time and, and, and hard won knowledge. Um, you've seen a lot of stuff out there and sharing it with and kind of breaking this down to some elemental levels maybe will help um, people have a better understanding and an education and overcome some of those hurdles to actually getting safer. Um, What I'd like to do is, um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to um, give people out your phone number. So if they want more information, can I do that? Is that okay or?
1: Oh, you bet, you bet, uh, I'm a people person. Please call me.
0: (laughs) he is. Um, You can tell on this interview, his goal is to help. Um, So if you wanna learn more about these issues, if you wanna talk with Jason about maybe getting one of those security assessments so you can know once and for all, Um, He's graciously allowing us to call him directly at 970-226-6777. Mention if you leave a message that you heard him on the healthcare huddle and he'll call you right back or or talk with you directly. Or you can visit uh, his website, his company's website at encompassmedical.com. And that's E-N-C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com encompassmedical.com or reach Jason directly at Uh, 970-226-6777 as you can tell he's very knowledgeable and he's very focused on customer service so Jason um, maybe we can have you back at some time in the future and talk about uh, some of the other things that are going on in healthcare with regards to IT and and, uh, cover some other topics would you be willing to do that
1: you bet and thanks again for your time um. Really, we 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 love what we do, right? I love getting up every day. It's my passion. It's it's um where I was put on this earth to do, and I love helping folks out. So, um, even in just enlightening them, you don't you know you don't have to call me thinking that I'm gonna sell you something. Just call. Let's talk. Let's see what we can put you on the, the the path to to greatness, security wise. Um, so, thanks again. Thanks for your time.
0: Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. You bet. During our conversation with Jason today, it became readily apparent that IT security risks are real, they're ever-changing, and they're potentially fatal to any organization. And if you didn't believe Jason, here are some facts to bolster that point. In 2018, 500 million personal records were stolen. In 2019, that number was 112% higher than in 2018. I can only imagine what 2020 is going to show us. The average cost of a breach to an organization is $7.3 million. Six trillion, or 7% of the whole world's economy, is lost annually to cybercrime. 49% of small to mid-sized businesses have been hacked. And of those breached, 60% were out of business within one year. Yet we all tend to act as if these existential threats and bad actors don't exist. And it got me to thinking about why. Very briefly, we touched on the idea of cognitive biases influencing our decision-making process. Optimism bias helps us have hope for the future, but it also falsely assumes that most bad things happen to other people. In healthcare, this is true for why organizations downplay and then ignore cyber threats, and it's also why patients downplay and ignore advice and healthy habits that can stave off disease. The paradox of choice bias, or overchoice, tells us that when we are faced with myriad alternatives that have multifactorial outcomes, we delay making decisions. I do this all the time with the mistaken belief that one more piece of information will help clarify the choice that I need to make. But that's exactly what we don't want organizations and our patients to do when faced with existential threats. The real best case is to act now. And these are not the only cognitive biases that are in play in healthcare IT security. The Dunning-Kruger effect tells us that experts are keenly aware of what they don't know, so they proceed cautiously, humbly, and at times quietly. Non-experts do not know what they don't know and see things simplistically and therefore tend to be more forceful, louder, and quicker to act. This explains many bad policy and strategy decisions we see in healthcare. The unknowing take the lead. Confirmation bias leads us to seek out and favor ideas and data that supports our initially held beliefs. The idea that this won't happen to me gets confirmed in our minds every day it does not happen. And lastly, the affect heuristic shows that we tend to make decisions based on how we feel rather than through reasoned analysis, and that we favor emotional memories, or maybe the lack thereof, over reasoning. Our leaders may not quote-unquote feel there is a present threat, and thus lower that IT security work to farther on down the priority list, often with disastrous consequences. I could go on, as there are numerous other cognitive biases acting on us all of the time. But in order not to overwhelm you with overchoice scenario, I think the prescription is pretty clear. Get your IT security system built now, because hackers only have to get it right once.
1: You've been listening to the Healthcare
0: Huddle, simplifying the business of healthcare. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit encompassmedical.com and subscribe to the
2: podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcast.